Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. That's a that's a cultural reference, I'm sure. Son of a monkey. Mm-hmm. I wonder where that's I wonder where that's common, where you would just be walking down the street, get off the plane or boat. You know where <laughs> did you read the there's a great article. Uh I should dig this up. Speaking of things that are totally not related to uh films. Oh, there's right. a great post on the least visited uh vacation destinations in the world the least visited like war zone type of places that is what i i thought uh you would say it turns out that there are other reasons not to visit places (laughs) (laughs) okay lice Uh, pestilence yeah well uh there the one is uh that i'm that i'm gonna look at so the second least visited is uh somalia well, okay. do you like how I you like how I said that as if it would be a surprise? It was I, a surprise to me, <laughs> um, because I thought that would be number one. Because why? Because there's, I I don't know if we have any Somali listeners, but as far as I understand, I've never been there. There is practically no functioning government, and there are pirates. Yeah. Uh, so that would be one reason not to go. And now I'm 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 waiting expectantly to hear what beat it out. <laughs> um, well, it, uh, gosh, I'm gonna get the the I'm gonna get it wrong it, it, because oh. it's it's one of those. Oh, oh, I found it. Wait for it. Uh, I gotta scroll because it's the list of 25. And there there are a lot. Of, oh, right, right. Think, okay, well, you... okay. So uh, Nauru, no Nauru. N a u r u, and you know I, it actually has how many tourists went to this country uh, in 2011. Which can was you, how many? Can you guess? Just go ahead and put a number out there. I just put a number. One. Two hundred. Two hundred oh. in the year. They have only one airline. You need a, a visa to get in, and they don't have very many embassies uh, in the world. The entire uh, republic. It's a republic in the uh, uh, island nation in the Pacific. Uh, it is the smallest republic in the world. It is 21 square kilometers. And did you know it was formerly known as Pleasant Island? <gasps> <laughs> why don't more people go? Why don't more people should know about this place? Well, Apparently, uh, unemploy- unemployment is uh, very, very high. <laughs> and they just wander back and forth from one end of the island to the next. Uh, so Somalia had 500 tourists. I would, I, yeah, 500 I, tourists in 2012. Uh, it, it, Kiribati, uh, Marshall Islands. Be, apparently, people really need to go to the Marshall Islands because it's gorgeous diving, and yet very, very difficult to get there. Uh, this is a great list. Great list. Like 25 least visited countries in the world. 
I'm going to put those on my bucket list. You should. Thank you. You. Can you think of the uh, of the number one most visited country uh, in in tourism? The number one most visited mm-hmm. uh, if for tourism. Yeah. I don't know. The U.S. Number two, with sixty two point uh, three million visitors. So number one, I don't know something strange. No, it's not. It's actually completely predictable. Japan, France, France. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like, one, you know, it's one of those things. Once you know, now you know. Everybody's got to go see the Eiffel Tower. That's right. All right. Well, I'm checking that off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not go to France now. No, because you know there are, does. everyone does that. There's 80 million people have a, now, that experience. Now Why would you do here that? Here I come. It's now, you just turn that, put it on its head. Turn it on its ear. You need to just start at the bottom. Work your way up. <laughs> That's one you don't want to you don't want to check Nauru off your list if number two is Somalia. That's all that's I'm saying. Right. That's right. That's, that's one you want to hold out there for a while. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, at least until they until some things get under control. No, I right. what do I know from nothing? Where are we here? Uh, welcome we to the next. Here? Welcome reel, to the next reel, everybody. <laughs> do it. Do it. You do it so special. Just despite our. Uh, our uh, uh, help in all of your travel planning. Uh, we actually do like to talk about movies over here. So uh, uh, so come join us, listen in. Tonight we're going to talk about a great uh, movie from the 70s. We're, we're talking 1976. And, uh, and so don't, uh, we're not too worried about spoiling films. So uh, it's a pretty old one. We think that uh, we're safe spoiling it by now. But uh, if you do want to... Uh, not be spoiled. If you haven't seen the movie we're going to talk about tonight, then go watch it and then listen to the podcast. And if you want to participate in the in the conversation, uh, we're always open to chatting with people either via Facebook or on our website, wherever. Just head on over to thenextreel.com and hit contact and you can uh, Facebook us or tweet with us or call us and leave us a voice message or email us, all those wonderful things. And what am I leaving out? iTunes. You are. Um, that's the one you're yeah, leaving out. Leaving out iTunes. Always, uh, we, we love it when our listeners head over to iTunes and leave us a, a rating and a review on iTunes. We actually got a new review this week. No, we didn't. We did. By by uh, by uh, fan of the show, Uber Mevins, who is <laughs> <laughs> uh, leaving us another message because he, just, he just loves us. What can I say? Oh, I'm very God. glad to have found this podcast. It's an enjoyable conversation about movies that has driven me to reconnect with why I love watching movies in the first place. They review lots of films I haven't seen and find things in ones I have that I never thought about. It's not too formulaic, feels casual, and is definitely a can't miss. So That's so go. nice. That is nice. Do you know what I like? That he, that he, he noticed that it's casual. Yeah, <laughs> you caught on. <laughs> one so of these days, we're episode. We have a theme song. Yeah, that's right. We're <laughs> episode seventy-seven, and nary a theme song to be found. <laughs> that's right. We're cruising on toward a logo. I can feel that one brewing. It's 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 a slow boil. <laughs> slow boil. It took me a year to get that interview on the website. We so. need to talk about what a hero you are. I'm not really here. You really are. This was for, what was the uh, episode 20-something, 20 22, I think, Clute? Yeah, we talked about Clute a while ago. A while ago. And uh, as a result of our conversation with Clute, and, I, you know, we can go into as much detail as you want, you ended up with, in some sort of 
crazy six degrees of separation connection to uh, the fantastic screenwriter, co-screenwriter of uh, this film, Andy Lewis. That's right. Yeah. Oscar nominated screenwriter uh, for that film. And uh, we just kind of started a conversation and I told him that we do this podcast and we have a blog and we'd love to put a little uh, interview with him up there. And and uh, he uh, agreed to uh, succumb to all of all of our questions. <laughs> and, uh, Man, did we send him a ton of questions? <laughs> yes, oh, we my did. goodness. Uh, and he answered all of them. He answered all of them. You, uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. You have been wrestling with the email going back and forth and really doing the yeoman's work of editing all this together and, and getting something that really, I think, tells... It, it's not just... What I love about it, this this interview, is that it not it tells not just the story of, of writing Clute, uh, but it it tells such a fantastic story in his words of uh, sort of the utilitarian nature the, of of TV and film writing in that era, uh, and and it's a unique perspective on the business, and I, I think it's absolutely worth checking out over on the blog. So, I, congratulations, man! I'm so glad that we that we finally got that up there. It's a it's a great read. Well, thank you, thank you. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it did take a while, but I am glad that it's up there and. Uh... Yeah, check it out, everybody. And Let so, us know what you think. Yes, absolutely. We would love thoughts. And uh, and now, you know, who's next? <laughs> now I'm going to work on tracking down another person to, to stalk until I can get an interview. Exactly. Uh, maybe next year I'll have another one up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the annual Andy interview. That's right. That's, that's right. what we're hoping for. <laughs> uh, so that's over on the blog uh, at uh, thenextreel.com slash blog. Check that out. Yep. Uh, what other updates? You posted there's some. Do we let's let's do a, a quick Facebook review, can we? Okay. Uh, I uh, have not seen. I think you posted on uh, uh, Facebook.com/slash/the-next-real. Did was it you who posted the zombie uh, film, or was that uh, was that, that was, Steve? That, that was Steve. Have you watched it? I haven't. No. I I won't. I mean, I haven't, and I likely won't because. Uh, man, there, <laughs> you know, there is something I was, uh, I don't know if you, you remember you, the, you don't game much, do you? You don't play a lot of video games. I, I don't play video All right. games. I'm going to put a link in the show notes on, uh, on the website, uh, to the trailer for a video game called dead Island. Oh, I, I remember that video game. Yeah. That was a, that was an actual arcade video game. No. Wasn't it? Nope. Oh, it was just I, a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Never mind. It was Xbox kind of a thing. And I never actually played the game either. I was a sort of your family is on vacation and it is uh, and there is a zombie outbreak on a beautiful island of paradise. And that's right. the general theme as far as I know. I didn't get past the trailer. The trailer is horrifying because it shows it's 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 a, an amazing piece of art. First of all, it is a it, it's uh, uh, backwards. Uh, it, it's done in re- told in reverse, and it starts with um, oh. the uh, this close up on the eyeball uh, on an eyeball of this of a daughter of a yep. girl, 
and it there's a slow pull out and you see that she is dead on the pavement and over the course of the next you know 2 minutes she lifts up kind of gravity defies you know her and she lifts up and you see now that it's in reverse and she has just fallen and you're watching her rise back up into the you know whatever six story window and go back through the glass as it unshatters and then she is on the back of her father and she's biting his neck and it and you see as she through the process of her attacking her family to her being attacked and watching her dad like lose control of her and as she's taken by the zombies and and bitten uh and it is like i saw that i was just like i don't know how old my daughter was when when i saw that she was like four and i was like i that's it i'm i can't i'm never taking her anywhere ever <laughs> because of zombies. Right. right <laughs> so down. now I love zombies. You know, I mean, you know, I celebrate oh, I know. the entire catalog. And yet if it's a zombie family story, <laughs> swear me out, there that's like the the subject. If there's like some sort of a little love story that includes a father and a child and zombies, then I turn my head. Yep. I hear ya. That's like um there was that that uh Oscar winning foreign film that came out uh uh, back in 2005, I think, called Zotzi from South Africa. Uh-huh. And um, my wife and I put it in to watch. And this was shortly after our bo- our daughter had been born. And we put it, put it in to watch. And uh, we're just relaxing and uh, decided to watch this movie while our daughter was sleeping. And the first thing that happens is this guy, this criminal like steals this car and doesn't realize that the the woman that he threw out of the driver's seat uh, there was a baby strapped oh, into the back oh, and oh. then he has to try to raise this baby my wife oh. and I turned it off I I have not ever gone back to watch this movie cuz it was like the worst timing ever I'm like oh there's no way I'm ever going to like this oh, guy God. ever 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 <sighs> It's supposed to be a great movie but I just I, I couldn't do it Nope nope there's some there's a little too close to home Yep maybe when she goes to college <laughs> Maybe I have a, I'll have a lot of catching up to do. Well, let's talk about trailers briefly. I think we're we're I think we've derailed a little bit. That's, I, I'm going to be really fast on my trailer. Your trailer's better, I think. I'll, I'll be fast too, though. But I think it looks great. I had to, uh, uh, Sam Rockwell, a new thriller with Sam Rockwell and William H Macy called a single shot that uh, looks to be pretty gripping, uh, oh. a pretty interesting, horrifying film about a a, a man who goes hunting. And uh, a uh, uh, illegally, he's trying to illegally poach deer. He accidentally shoots a teenage girl uh, instead of a deer. And then he tries to dispose of the body. And then in the process, he comes across, a, a, you know, a lot of money. And all of a sudden, it turns into this big, like, people chasing people sort of film in this uh, as these criminals are after him. And you know, people are just trying to figure out what's going on. It's got Sam Rockwell, William H. Macy, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Jason Isaacs. Looks dark, looks dramatic, looks like a, a kind of a really interesting, uh, interesting, heavy sort of film. I, I'm kind of curious to see the direction they take with it. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a, a dark, brooding yeah. uh, suspense mystery film. You know, it should absolutely check out the trailer uh if, if only because it's another one like um uh, uh what we we're just talking about it just just like it it really the is zombies, a right? yeah i mean it's like a work of art i, I think yeah. the trailer it's just it's a beautiful piece of of entertainment in itself yeah absolutely, absolutely worth checking out 
you know, speaking of zombies, real quick, did you, you know, uh, uh, the showrunner for Walking Dead, Glenn Mazzara, is uh, retired from The Walking Dead and has moved on, and they say he's going to write The Overlook Hotel. Have you heard much about this? I haven't heard anything about it. Prequel to The Shining. So there's a prequel, and then Stephen King just wrote the sequel. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so it's going to turn into a trilogy. Nice. Oh boy. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Uh I yeah, I'm not I'm not all that excited about it. But uh I did I do think, you know, in terms of custodian of the brand, I like what uh Mazzara's showrunner. He's done good work on I loving The Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. Um okay. So my trailer uh another big budget one, uh Elysium, the the second non the first non teaser trailer has come out for Elysium uh with um uh the handsome, ruggedly uh, handsome, and Jason, bald Jason Bourne, <laughs> um, and uh, and it is the first where we get to see a little bit more of the uh, uh, Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. We get to see a little bit more of the um, experience of the film set in twenty one fifty four, apparently uh, on a planet right underneath the Halo planet and uh <laughs> it, it's another one sort of like what was the one we talked about where there, there was the the great gravity stuff they had going on there where you had the upside down the upside down planets yeah, upside down right that's <laughs> well well played uh and it, it's uh it's kind of the uh the rich people live on the ring and matt damon and his merry band of um insurgents ha- are uh going to make hay upon it and they yep. do so with this funky uh, bionic suits that they inject into their, or they s- screw into their bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it it's one that looks very exciting. Um, and yet, even so, uh, I'm, I wasn't very excited. What does that say? Well, did you read the script? Yeah, it was a good script. I, I like it was script. part of the we got that through the uh that was through the the uh no we got it sent uh from a friend of the show. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I all right. Uh, but it's it's uh I I like it. I think that the look of it is really fitting with the way that it's it plays out in the story and I I'm looking forward to seeing um the rest of it. I I'm. I think I'm pretty excited to see it. I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, exploding with with uh, joy or anything like that. <laughs> exploding with joy. Yeah. I'm uh, still. You know, I put that in, and and probably shouldn't. I put it in the same category as Oblivion, and I am. I am much more excited to see Oblivion than I am to see Elysium. Interesting. Uh, I think. And, I, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I'm more excited to see Elysium. But <laughs> but I'm most excited to see Now You See Me. I don't want to steal another trailer slot, but everybody should go watch the next. Uh, Absolutely. Second trailer. It is fantastic. Makes me want to be a magician. <laughs> okay. Or, or, a, or a burglar. Or a burglar. Either or one. Bur- what do I care? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to work with Zuckerberg. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, shall we talk about the movies? Yes. 1976. Let's. That's right. It's a gritty year. <laughs> Man. It's funny because my experience watching this movie, I was surprised. I, it's been a long time since I've seen this uh, seen Taxi Driver, and and you know we're following up on our experience with Marathon Man last week. And my experience, insofar as both of these films share that same kind of '70s grit, uh, they're not very happy films. Uh, I found myself uh, having a very different experience watching them, reacting to them. 
mm. week over week. Um, I'm gonna why don't why, kick it off? Why do you tell me what uh, what what you love about Taxi Driver? I, I'm actually making an assumption that you love Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, I do, I do. It, it was a film that I I didn't connect with when I first saw it. It took me a while to get into it because it is a, a dark, gritty film. And, you know, growing up, I was definitely not a the dark, gritty movie sort of guy. I mean, I liked a, a wide variety of genres, but these kind of like heavy, dramatic sorts of things I, I didn't get into quite as much. And uh, but over time and as I've as I've gotten older, I've certainly kind of grown to love these sorts of films a lot more. And this film, the, the psychology of the character, I really find fascinating. I really uh, enjoy entering this horrifying world of Travis Bickle and and just seeing the the this terrifying path that he ends up taking and it's it's a really interesting study in psychology and that's i think why i really enjoy the film aside from the fact that Martin Scorsese i mean just you know a few films into his career really has already established himself to be a true filmmaker, a true understander of an understander. He's an understander. <laughs> he is truly someone who understands, <laughs> understands how to how to work with film and how to uh, make uh, the camera work for him and make his editing choices work for him and his his uh, actors work for him and everything that he has on screen is there because he's thought about it and he's planned it and. He really gets, you know, it's the way that he uh, perceives the world and the way that he attempts to put what he perceives onto film, I am always engrossed with in in every one of his films. And in this film in particular, I just feel he really tapped into this darkness, uh, maybe within himself, or maybe it was just kind of the zeitgeist of the times or whatever it was. He really tapped into something in the making of this film and everything that he did in the process of making this film um, from Paul Schrader's script with Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle really all seemed to be finely tuned in order to portray this psychopath as he kind of journeys down this road to uh, kind of boiling over. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, all of that. And uh, I still found myself bored to tears through much of it. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is this is a funny movie for me because I you know there are movies that I I really love because uh, and I love them and I appreciate them because I love them and there are movies that I love because I appreciate them uh, and then there are movies that I I feel like there is so much uh, cultural peer pressure to love uh, and yet I don't connect with them. Yeah. Right. And and so this is one of those movies that I I find is a more challenging viewing because there are so many elements of it that I deeply, deeply appreciate. But those elements are so sort of isolated uh, from the overall arc of the film, the pacing of the film, um, major transformations in the film uh, that I find that it's like a dot to dot that doesn't have all the numbers uh you know so you're not quite sure where to draw the next line and so by the time you reach the end uh, the the climax of the film i find myself sort of um 
you know, disconnected from the first hour of of pain, even though I'm celebrating the uh, you know the climax in uh, of this film in a way that that uh, I, I feel like is extraordinarily powerful, and so uh, but but unearned in in some respects. Hmm. And I'm I'm a little bit tortured by it because I would just just add that this coming off of Mean Streets, which I find uh, much sort of less kind of clumsy uh, throughout, and and this was just, and Mean Streets was just a couple of years before, and it had Scorsese, you know, it was Scorsese and De Niro and Harvey Keitel, and uh, I I find myself really enjoying that movie uh, more. I I can't. Like uh, one of the reasons I haven't seen Taxi Driver so long is because it's so low on my list of movies that I would just put on to watch. Interesting. Um, well, you know, it's it's interesting because one, I I like this film much more than I like Mean Streets. I have a harder time watching Mean Streets. I, granted, I haven't watched Mean Streets in quite a while, but I have a hard time getting into that film. Much like you're saying, mm-hmm. uh, your opinion of this film. Um, but also, I find it interesting because the way you're describing taxi driver is how I felt when I first saw it. Like I just, I had a hard, I, like I said, my, my mindset wasn't really connecting with this sort of film. And you know, it could just be that you're just, you're just not in the mood at this point to just be watching this sort of dark psychology of a film. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I really, you know, I, I found myself having a very different reaction with marathon man, which is also dark. Uh, it is. It's not. It's not dark where you're. You know, getting into the mind of a of a killer. Though. But, but I mean, see, this is this is a much darker film. But see, no. I, you know, here's here's the thing. I mean, this movie. I think. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if what. You know, what is our scale of darkness? Like, where does this film sit next to Seven? Next to Fight Club? You, you know, um, I. I would put those on any day of the week next to Taxi Driver. I find the execution of Taxi Driver is is frustrating, and I find the character, um, the the sort of redemption story of Bickle, uh, is not. It, it's frustratingly not compelling. But it's not a redemption story. Well, there is, but see, that's the that's the trick. It's not a redemption story. There is some redemption in this film, and it comes in the form of Iris. Uh, and, and so but that's it, where we get to celebrate, but that's the thing that's so, that I find so sort of painful about watching this movie is because when, when we see the, the, the end of the film, he, you know, this transformation from, uh, I'm, uh, a, a bubbling over maniac, uh, to, uh, I'm, you know, now I'm sort of, uh, kind of dealing with the accidental heroism that comes from freeing this teenage prostitute, um, is, is not something that I could connect with, but it, but it also reflects, you know, kind of a sign of the times. I mean, this is a, I mean, not necessarily the sign of the times, a sign of 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 his his place in things and and the way that the world reacted to something like this. This is a man who went to kill the this possible presidential candidate, this senator. He went to kill him, and if he had accomplished that. His heroism, he, there wouldn't have been no heroism. He would have been targeted as right. a, an absolute cold-blooded killer. Instead, because he fails at that, he goes and and, and succeeds at killing this other guy. Uh, and it just because in, it, for no reason to gain glory because he's, he's killing someone is really just to like, in a weird way, trying to free 
uh, one of these women from their father figure or something, you know, they've got kind of this connection to these guys and he's trying to, you know, cleanse them or something. And it's only accidental that because he ends up, it's like this accidental heroism because people view him that way. It's somebody labels him as a hero and it's it's almost a reflection of of society that they view this man as a hero without realizing who he really is and then at the end you get that sense that you know he still is this ticking time bomb there's still something going on with him and it's only going to be a matter of time before he bubbles over again okay uh, i you know and I, I i should take a step back because i do i do agree with that Right. I mean, fundamentally, what we the strength of this film really is in that in in that sort of third act where we we really get to see the transformation from, you know, after his failed attempt from from uh, sadistic wreck to accidental hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is. And I guess that's what you're getting at. There's a, the the way I was sort of characterizing it in my head was that there's no victory in that transformation. Yeah, there's not. I mean, and, and there's by by design. I mean, I get that. Uh, yeah, I I get that. But uh, what they what they introduce in this character of Iris, and I think what what I find sort of disconnected from uh, the, the role of that character in the film, they, it, it's like she comes in, she sort of splashes in a little bit too late and becomes the sort of false object of his affection, uh, his obsession, uh, because he couldn't get the, the Senator, he couldn't get Sybil Shepard. She's always been a little standoffish, frankly. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, and, and then, you know, can't make that connection with Iris and then can't get the, the, or, or can't get the Senator and then can't get the connection with Iris. And, and so he goes, goes crazy because he feels like nobody's listening to him. And, and, you know, I'm, you know, we get this sort of, uh, through his writings, through his absolutely painful voiceovers of his writings in his notebook um we we get oh, this i'm goodness. i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore kind of a, a a thing um and uh i i find it is just uh chaos leading up to that to that transformation i find it so hard to just it just doesn't stand up for me. Now, I, I agree with you. I think this, where the strength of the movie, uh, you know, where it happens and where I find myself reconnecting really is in that third act. And I, and it, but it's not because of what the film has earned for me. It's because of, it's because of the uh, uh, sort of the, the Scorsese survey, you know? I mean, it's, it's the way he moves the camera through these scenes of horrific violence, uh, going from these long stationary cuts of two, two men talking to one another and, you know, uh, j- uh, you know, sort of this jolting kind of, uh, New York, uh, banter to, uh, these sweeping and beautifully, uh, completely vertical overhead, you know, tracking shots, um, through these, um, these sort of the scenes of great violence that I find myself just really sucked into. And then it's over. And and I find myself saying, okay, I'm going to go watch something I really enjoy the whole thing of. Oh my goodness! You need to watch it again. What the shots of the the whole scene afterward when he's he's out and and Betsy gets back in his cab. You don't like that scene? No. You get this this floating head of Betsy, like she's this little 
you know, conscious voice of of his oh, conscience or something. Oh, oh, oh talking, no, 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 talking. I know what you're talking about. Yes, him. no, no, no. I do, I do. I, you know, I do. I, I like, I, I do. I like that, but I don't feel, uh, I don't feel much of a connection to it. Um, yeah. I, again, I like the the visuals. Uh, I don't feel the substance. Hmm. Wow. I, I had no relationship with her. That was a that that whole the whole chase. Uh, and that's one of the, I think, one of the great weaknesses of the film is that relationship, that that whole chase, uh, uh, De Niro chasing uh, Sybil Shepherd, uh, is, um, I, I think, just a, God, it just just ends up being a waste of breath. Oh, uh, I, I just can't wait. Well, can't watch it. here's the thing. I think this film, it's it's a dark film. This is a dark film. It's hard to get into. It's hard to like because it's it's a very uh you're in this mind of this this crazy man basically over the course of the film i don't i think there are probably a good chunk of americans who are not going to sit down and watch this film because it's just not the sort of film that they want to watch they want to go uh put on uh, you know the next adam sandler film or something like that oh please no I, really that I, I that's where like you're going to go with this. So that's because I go. don't like this f- film, I'm going to need to go watch Adam Sandler. That's right. <laughs> I will not no, be I, your straw man pumpkin. <laughs> it's no, I, but I, what I'm saying though is, is there's, this is a film that's a much more heavy psychological, you know, welcome to the crazy man's brain sort of film. There's a lot of people who aren't going to like it. And I, I I think that's that's true, and I I don't think there's a problem with you not connecting with it, not liking it. There's probably a lot but of but it's who not. Don't. But my contention is it's not because it's a dark film. I like plenty of dark films. It is because this isn't a good one. Well, I disagree with you. I think it's a great <laughs> film, and I can't believe that you think it's not a great film. I am so shocked. I am so shocked right now. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about some things I really love about it. Oh, please, please. I love that. Uh, I I love certain uh, sort of character elements of Travis Bickle before you, you, like, he... you would pick the you would pick the fifth element over this. No, 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 no. I, there, I, you know, there would. Oh yes, I mean, I would put it on. I would put uh, the fifth element on uh, uh, before right. this one. Uh, but but I certainly uh, would agree that there is more. Uh, there. <laughs> potentially more effort into the substance of this film than there was in the Fifth Element. Uh, I'll give you that. A for effort. Oh boy, <laughs> I uh, I particularly love uh, Travis uh, being so disconnected from the reality of of people uh, that he thinks it's a good idea to take Betsy on their first date or second date uh, to a porno. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was a great choice, and I thought it taught us a lot about uh, about his character. I thought that was a great element. Okay, it he's totally no. he's totally clueless. I think that's fantastic. And then he he keeps trying to apologize for it. It doesn't just go away. It's like he really you you really get the feeling that he thought this was a smart thing to do. Well, and what's fascinating about that aspect of Travis is that this is a man who. Uh, 
you know, I mean, he he drives around, and despite what you think of his voiceovers, I mean, he I, I think they're very enlightening as well. And he drives around in the sewers, basically. You know, it, it, we the first image of the film is this like the smoke rising from the street, almost like this taxi cab emerging from hell, and he's like this, you know, this this uh, what's the the boatman's name in hell? Charbatus, Caribatus. Yeah, and he's like boating people around in hell. Like all these awful people are out in the streets at night, and he's out there. He's a man who purposefully puts himself out in the the worst environment, uh, and it, it's like he's he's torn between these two worlds of of despising this awful world yet putting himself into it. And then he sees Betsy, who's this angelic figure, mm-hmm. and he wants to sully her almost. It's almost like you know subconsciously he's trying to dirty her. Yeah. And then he sees Iris who is in this dirty world and, and he wants, he wants to, to rescue rescue her, her and yeah. take her out of this filth and he he can't believe that she's in it and it's this it's this strange battle between these two worlds that it's fighting within him and i i find that an absolutely fascinating thing and yes i the fact that he takes Betsy to a, a porn film is is a genius bit of writing on yeah. uh, Paul Strader's part. Absolutely is, and 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 I want to sort of jump on that point too because it's it it gets into my next, the next thing I I really do like about uh, the choices that they made in this film, and that is in the very beginning when uh, the the way we learn about Travis Bickle uh, comes in the form of a uh, a brief conversation uh, in a job interview where he goes in to try to get this job. Uh, to become a taxi driver. We find out that he is a uh, an honorably discharged Marine. Uh, we are assuming, though they never mention it, that it, you know, obviously he came back from, uh, from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, you know, from his, he can't sleep, he's dealing with some of this sort of what we're, again, making some assumptions around post-traumatic stress, he can't sleep, he's up all night, he figures he might as well make some money, and he says, uh, I will drive anywhere, anytime, and he says it over and over mm-hmm. and over. Will you drive in Brooklyn? Will you drive in the Bronx? Will you drive in, in oh, anywhere, anytime, anywhere, anytime? Put me anywhere you want, anytime. And there is... I think something powerful to that choice uh, that where he is taking an active role in uh, in moving away from healing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. his his choice is not to come home and and right. to you know find a place and find find a cure for the insomnia. He's going out to find something to do because he's an insomniac. Right. Uh, and he's putting himself in a place where he is exposed to even more uh, horrible things, horrible things, horrible things. How could he not turn into a monster in some mm-hmm. respects? Right. Right. It's yeah, a nature. Right. This is a nature nurture story on that on, on that uh, on, on, in that respect. And I think that's that element of it is very powerful. Yeah. Uh, I love his intense physical training montage. Mm-hmm. Montage. Which is set to a wonderful piece of of music by by uh, Elmer Bernstein, who this was his last score, and the music mm-hmm. there is just fantastic. It's just brass, just yeah. very harsh tones, and it just works. It fits so well with him, you know, pumping up and and really getting ready to go out and do his right. his uh, gritty worst. Well, and that that's the um, that's the one of the things I love about this sequence is that you see him doing pull ups and push ups and all sorts of stuff, and then holding his wrist over an open fire. 
That's right. Right? It's like all stuff that you might do if you're getting in shape, and then the one thing that you would not. That's what I do after I work out. (laughs) (laughs) And then I pull out one tooth with pliers. That's right. Just one. (laughs) 30 30 days to great shape. (laughs) <laughs> and eating through a straw. Oh man! Um, so uh, I I particularly like that element. Again, there's a it's another sort of dot in this character map of of uh, Travis Bickle. I love 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 uh, the sequence where he shoots the robber in the convenience store. Mm-hmm. Why do I love that? I can tell you. You tell me. Uh, because at that point, what we are seeing there is. Uh, earned. It comes at a point in the story where he has now acclimated himself to, um, you know, to being more of a monster than he was a, a man. And wh- he shoots this guy without even thinking. And there is no reaction other than, I don't have a permit for this. But even more important than Travis Bickle's role, De Niro's portrayal in the convenience store happens after he leaves, where we are given this unbelievable view of the texture of this community as the convenience store owner hauls off and beats the crap out of this guy uh with i don't know a tire iron or something yeah right this nearly dead guy and he's already been shot and he's nearly dead i mean he's clearly unconscious he's taken the gun and then he goes off and just beats him uh silly uh, on the floor of this convenience store and then props him up and beats him some more and i think that gives us this uh i think that gives us another great sort of view of Look at where Travis has put himself in yeah. this place where this is just just terrible. Yeah, it's this is the world that he's in. It's a it's a world of this gritty, thoughtless violence, and it's yeah. just it's everywhere. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah. And that you know that scene also interestingly speaks to this interesting, uh, not really spoken, but this uh, subtle uh perception that we get of Travis and his and his racism and his racist thoughts right i mean he says he doesn't care who he picks up he doesn't care where he goes but when he goes and sits down and hangs out with the other cabbies in the like little cabbie shack where they all sit um the you know he he seems to have kind of a not so uh wonderful relationship with the with the black cab guy and then he like has this, you know, this stare down with this black guy who's sitting back in the corner. Kind of, I don't know if he's a, a pimp or, or what, but he's kind of dressed, uh, dressed up in his in his zoot suit, um, sitting in the back. And you get this sense that there's this there's this uh, racist feeling that that Travis has. It's never really it's never spoken, but. I, it's again. It's another interesting element to him that, and and just to the world of this of this film and and this man that we are are given. Totally, uh, totally agree. Um. Uh, two more, uh, three more things that I really love. Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Twelve years old making this film. You know they had to give her a psych test. Yeah, make sure she wouldn't go wouldn't go batty. (laughs) I'm not sure it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Great actress, and you could she is she is one of those. And you know, I made the I made the crack about Chloe Grace Moretz last week, and and but but they are of the same cloth. 
Yeah. I think that there are actresses out there that are of that cloth that, uh, and, and this is just a, a terrific performance, uh, however brief by, uh, one of the great American actresses. Something that's, uh, interesting that Jody said, um, talking about De Niro, um, when they were rehearsing their scene uh, for their um, their cafe, their little diner scene, mm-hmm. he um, where she eats the best sandwich ever. <laughs> yeah, best out jam and sugar, jam and sugar on bread. <laughs> where uh, he would call, he'd call her up periodically when they were shooting, and he'd invite her to go, uh, you know, have dinner and just and and chat. And they would get there and. And he wouldn't talk. And so he, she would just sit there and she would just talk with people around her and all this sort of stuff. And they just, you know, just kind of have these these times out. And eventually he got to this point where they started rehearsing their lines and they would rehearse their lines and rehearse their lines and rehearse their lines over and over. And they would just keep going to the point where she was bored to tears rehearsing her lines. And remember, this is a 12-year-old uh, actress. So, you know, she was she was all about memorizing the lines and but what happened was she got so bored doing the lines and then he would throw in little other lines here and there that that weren't scripted just to see what she would do and how she would react and what it did is one it got her as a as a young actress very comfortable with working with him and two it it helped develop a natural fill with the scene where it didn't feel like a scripted scene. It actually just felt like something where this was just a conversation that was happening. It got, it helped her as an actress learn, get to a point where it's the, the lines themselves are so rote. You're just reacting to the other person and it almost doesn't matter at that point. And uh, it was a really interesting lesson learned for a, a young actress that she got from, uh, from a, a wonderful actor, which I thought yeah. was a really interesting story. I was that very is happy. A, that, that is actually a really interesting very cool. story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, so Jodie Foster she's, she stands out to me as as one. Uh, also, I should add uh, the great uh, Albert uh, Brooks. His first film. His first film. I thought he was. He's been in two he very so violent funny. films that we watched. This I know. Drive. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh. that was a that was a good one. I I could have used more of him. Yeah. I could always use more Albert Brooks. More of of the Brooks fro. Right. The uh, let's see, New York. Uh, we've already talked about uh, sort of how New York is portrayed, but um, in, in this film, I really see New York as, and I think one of the things that Scorsese is so adept at his relationship with New York as a character, mm-hmm. and um, and and I think it, uh, this is one of those films that really um, uh, allows you to deliberate on the role of New York uh, as it interacts with the characters in the film. And I think this is, I think it just sort of exemplifies that activist role of a city. Um, and I, uh, kind of the emergent behavior of a city that comes out of it. I love the way he photographs New York. I love the use of reflections and mirrors and lights. And I just, I'm, I find myself mesmerized by it. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, he, they, they shot this film on location in, in New York, uh, unlike Mean Streets, which surprised me that Mean Streets was mostly shot in L.A. Right. Only a little bit was shot in New York. Um, but this was entirely New York. And uh, the but he said the interesting thing I, th- I thought was that he didn't feel it had to be New York. It really could have been just it's really a story of any urban environment. Um, New York just happens to have like the most recognizable uh, taxi service. And and for that, it really made sense to put it there. 
but he said it really is just all about just any urban en environment that has this sort of uh, kind of scummy life, kind of seething up through the uh, through the bowels of the uh, of the center. Well, what's funny about that that comment is that is just how inseparable New York is from this film now. Right. Yeah. He can, oh, right. he can exactly. say that all he wants, but what he did uh, was, I think, very special, you know, for better or ill, was very special for the city of New York. Absolutely. It's, it, it made it, it, This film makes me not want to go to New York. Right. It <laughs> makes it, like, there's a lot of texture and color. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to go there. <laughs> I don't want to go to there. Uh, okay, and last, uh, my last thing, I know I've been to totally... Um, I, I know you're the one who loves this movie, and I'm just going off on the things that that, that these are the elements that I the six things that I really love about this film. Uh, and last is the the music. Absolutely. And and I know just how, I I know you know uh, what a um, uh, cinema music impresario you are, and so I'll let you talk more about it in detail. But I just wanted to want to say that this film I think has one of the best. Uh, visuals to score pairings of uh, certainly any film of the era. I this the the it is extraordinarily well executed score for this film. Absolutely, every every sequence there isn't there isn't a, a sequence that has music that is at all jarring. It it just really adds to what you're looking at. It. Every single frame is just really well done. Uh, it's, it's a it's a beautiful score. Um, Elmer Bernstein's very last. He he wrote the score. He um, he wasn't very interested in doing the film. He's like, I, I don't want to. I don't write scores for movies about taxi drivers. And Scorsese was like, Well, it's not really about you know a guy who just drives a taxi. You read the script, and and he he enjoyed the script and decided he'd do it. Obviously, he wrote it, um, and he recorded it. I believe it was just like the. Right before Christmas, like December 23rd and 24th, something like that, in 1975. And literally, like he finished scoring. He gave uh, Martin Scorsese some notes about the score. He he helped him place that last sting right when right at the end of the film when De Niro, you know, it's almost like he sees something and he adjusts the mirror and you hear that bing. Bing, yeah. Yeah, he helped him kind of place that and everything and, and uh, had him reverse it so it, it played the way that Scorsese wanted it to and everything. And he went back to his hotel and he died. And that was it. He died. Oh, it was like literally haunting. He just finished the score and, and then he passed away. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty uh, amazing that, you know, literally the very end of his life, he turned out, I think, one of his great scores. I mean, he this is a composer who's done many, 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 many great scores. So tell me tell me more about the relationship between uh, Elmer Bernstein and Bernard Herrmann on this film. Oh, why why do I keep saying Elmer Bernstein? I don't. It's Bernard Herrmann. It's Bernard yeah. Herrmann, right? Sorry, I, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm looking at and I know. <laughs> see, the sorry. reason I say that is because, like, I think, though, that. Uh, because those there are credits that go back and forth. Like I'm, you know, you look for the taxi driver theme, and I get an Elmer Bernstein credit for it. Right? That's the, a that's a funny thing. The um, I I think the reason that I, I I just confused those two is because in the um, I want to say it Elmer, was uh, there is a there is a Elmer Bernstein conducts the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Bernard Herrmann film scores, uh, and it, that may be that connection that he. No, you you know what it is. It's it's um, 
the thing that I'm that that got me tripped up is that uh, um, Scorsese had Elmer Bernstein rescore Bernard Herrmann's music okay. for um, for Cape Fear when he did Cape Fear. <laughs> Okay. That's 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 why I all of a sudden got the two of them confused. Yeah, but okay. Bernard Herman is who I've been talking about, and just right. foolishly sounding like an idiot talking about. No, uh, well, not anymore because you're, you're redeemed. Bernstein. Yeah, Ugh. totally, total redemption. But yeah, Bernard Herman, thank, yeah. you. thank you. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a. Gorgeous, I'm gonna go. Ba- I'm gonna go back punch. and insert. I'm gonna do some punch inserts there. <laughs> Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman. That's right. Just have me record his name a few ways. Yeah. Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman. <laughs> Bernard Herman. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, now people can hear me being an idiot. That's, that's right. It's all. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you were saying about how great the score is. It, it it truly is. I mean, it's just it's 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 a stunning score. It's amazing. It's just it's this jazzy feel of the city, like you were saying. It really taps into New York just as much as the film does. I mean, I hear that that kind of main. Uh, love theme for like Betsy's theme with the 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 horns and everything, and I just I feel like I'm in New York. Mm-hmm. It's this gorgeous, gorgeous music that fits the vibe of the of a city at night. I, I just always feel that when I hear the music here. Um, and then the other bits, you know, God's Lonely Man, the bit that uh, you know is when more the the more contemplative one, and you know I. I want to mention briefly, uh, we came across that uh, fun album, Petra Goes to the Movies. Right. Petra Hayden uh, did this whole album, um, basically doing her solo acapellas of a whole bunch of different film scores, which are really uh, fun to listen to. One of which is the God's Lonely Man theme from uh, from Taxi Driver. And it's uh, interesting to hear it as an acapella version. But er- you know, all the music that he wrote really fits the vibe of the film so well. And... I I just uh, I really enjoy listening to this score. I think the themes are wonderful, and it's definitely worth uh, checking out for that. Truly. Uh, okay, so those the I I just went through my six uh, highlights, and I think they cover for me uh, the things that I I really do genuinely like about this film, and that's pretty much it. That's a that's such a shame. That's such a shame. No, you know gonna... what? It's not, and that's why I'm so tortured about this film, because I really I can't stress this enough. I'm not. I I don't hate it. I just find it disjointed and uh, slow for most of it, and it keeps me watching to the very end because of these six elements that kind of have me tied in to it. I think I think it's interesting that this is a time in cinema. And I don't know if I can think of any film recently. Uh, maybe you can point out to me. But it, it was a time in cinema when a lot of these big filmmakers nowadays, like Brian De Palma, uh, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, um, who else? John Milius and uh, um, a, a bunch of big filmmakers. There's there, there's others that uh, Oliver Stone. They were all kind of coming. Uh, out of film school and starting to make their films back in the the seventies, maybe early sixties, and there was an element and this, you know tying into what we were talking about with the seventies films last week, there was still an element of experimentation that they would throw in, mm. 
And I don't see that a lot in films anymore, but Scorsese would do that a, a, a number of times in this film. Like there's the shot where uh, you have a little bit that kind of repeats itself. You know, you, you start seeing this shot of De Niro as he's turning his head and you hear him doing his voiceover monologue as he's as he's writing in his journal. And then it cuts and we see the exact same thing happen all over again, almost fitting within the psychology of the character. But it's an interesting little uh, bit of experimental filmmaking. Um, not only that, but there's really interesting shots that he does. Like when you see De Niro coming up to the taxi station and and he kind of goes off of camera right, a screen right, instead of the camera panning to follow him, the camera pans left and does a whole 360 all the way around back to the door where we see him enter. And it's just it's like a jarring uh you know, study in filmmaking and what you can do and experimenting with the tools that you have in order to create new feelings within your audience. And I find it fascinating that uh, this was a time when filmmakers were doing that. And I, I, you know, I'm hard pressed to say who's doing that these days. I mean, I'm sure I, there's somebody, but I, it's not, it's not coming to me. I know. And I'm, I'm, it's uh, the same thing. You know, I, I think about, uh, into the nineties, you know, with sort of Robert Altman and, uh, uh, then now he's gone. <laughs> so who's, you know, like there is this list of, of filmmakers that I just, and I think studios that are uh, sort of uh, risk averse. Uh, and so, uh, but, but where you do see a lot of that, I think where there is, is, you know, YouTube and Vimeo and, and you're seeing a lot of the independent artists of today, you know, shooting more with cameras, they can do more with in more interesting ways yeah. Even than we saw in the '60s and and '70s, um, uh, just because of the flexibility of the technology, uh, so it's there. And and I think we, you know, but I I I really think you know, just on your point about playing with the camera and what you can do with motion in the frame, in particular, what Scorsese does here, experimenting with the mix of uh, long conversational cuts to uh, movement with the camera, to movement uh, inside the cab. Um, the, the, that sort of visual pacing, I think, is, is fun to, to be a part of. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it feels like you're on a ride. Uh, it, it, and, I, you know, I think, yeah, I, I think that's, for me, that's kind of a good way to characterize it. It feels kind of like you're on rails, you know? It's like you're on one of the Disney kind of rides, and you're just, it turns you to, show you what you need to look at and then it's going to move you and show you in something else you know when he uh, walks in at the end and walks down that uh, that long hallway yeah uh, that's really what i feel like i'm get i get close to him i get far away from him. i feel like he's scorsese is really manipulating me insofar as he's manipulating what's on screen do you think disney will license this as their next big ride oh god would that be great <laughs> Taxi oh driver. The taxi driver. Uh, oh, welcome man. to California Adventure. <laughs> taxi driver on the boardwalk. Oh, man. So this film, um, going back to uh, the origins of this film, this yeah. film, Paul Schrader, you know, was in a very dark place. And, and uh, his, his story to getting this script written is pretty interesting. I won't go into all the details. I know we're running a little long, but he... Uh, he was in a dark place. He came up with this dark script. He he realized basically um, he had not talked to anybody like for a few weeks, and he realized that you know this the sense of loneliness and that kind of uh, 
characterized you know, what what uh, became this script. And as he wrote the script, he realized it's not just about loneliness; it's about this 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 uh, person putting themselves in a place of this self-imposed loneliness and kind of forcing it upon themselves. And it, I, I found that really fascinating. This world of loneliness. Um, it tapped into a lot of people at the time. Um, we had talked about, uh, back when we were doing the sting, <clears throat> excuse me, we had talked about, uh, uh, Julia and Michael Phillips who produced the sting and how, uh, this was one of the other big films that they ended up producing in the seventies, this close encounters, uh, taxi driver, I think were their th three really big seventies films that they right. had done together. Um, they, um, they had basically heard that, you know, there's all these filmmakers coming out of schools with all this great material that um, that they should that nobody was listening to them. They, they had no way to get their voices heard. They started tapping into that. That's how they found the sting. That's how then they found Taxi Driver. Brian De Palma, I think, uh, was their friend or something and gave them a copy of it. He said, you know, it's not really something for me, but maybe you guys can do something with it. And and so they took it and they thought it was really interesting. Martin Scorsese, Bryant was also friends with De Palma, who had given him a script. And he's like, oh, my God, I want to make this. He hadn't really done anything except box boxcar Bertha for Roger Corman at the time. And he was talking to uh, the Phillipses about uh, wanting to make it. And they're like, well, you know, we want to, you know, we'd rather you have a more a bigger track record first. And so. You know, he kept bumping into them time after time, and then he had done Mean Streets, and and they saw the cut of that, and they're like, okay, well, maybe he's got something, and they started kind of putting it together, and he and De Niro knew each other, and uh, De Niro really wanted to be a part of it, and you know, he was at this point finally where he had just won an Oscar for The Godfather Part Two. Uh, 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 Scorsese not only had done Mean Streets, but then had done Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, kind of a little more. It was with with a studio, so they felt a little more comfortable that he could do that. And all the pieces fell in place, and they went forward and made it. Um, I don't think anyone went into the film thinking that it was going to be a moneymaker, thinking that it was going to turn into something that would uh, attract a lot of people. I think they felt it was really kind of a work of passion for them, a labor of love, and maybe uh, some people would like it, but I don't think they were expecting it to have the reception that it did get which was uh, was which was pretty positive this was uh, it received really well yeah and and obviously is um, held up held up for everybody but Pete <laughs> <laughs> now i know i'm not alone i may be alone in the crowd that listens to this show i think you're alone <laughs> The, this film challenge, was challenge accepted. <laughs> this film was nominated for four Oscars: Best Picture, uh, Best Original Score, Bernard Herrmann, who unfortunately was also nominated for Best Score for Obsession the same year. One of Brian De Palma's two films that came out that year, um, but because Bernard Herrmann was nominated for both scores, he essentially canceled each other out that year, which is um, unfortunate. It was not. Uh, Jodie Foster was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And, uh, of course, De Niro was nominated for uh, Best Actor. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good time. And then it, um, the, uh, gosh, it was nominated for a, a couple of Golden Globes, Best uh, Original Screenplay, Best Actor. Um, and then at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival, it won the Palme d'Or. 
And uh, it uh, that was really kind of a, a big stepping stone, I think, for Scorsese to start moving on to more things, bigger and better things after this. Well, he did, huh? There's a yeah. there's a guy who uh, knows how to knows how to leverage uh, success. That's Scors- <laughs> that's Scorsese. Scorsese, I believe. Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> what was that from? There was something. It's Scorsese. It's Scorsese. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, made it on a shoestring. Yeah, it was one point three million dollar budget that they had. Um, at the time, nineteen seventy six dollars. It still wasn't a ton of money, but you know, it's it's uh it's a decent bit of money that they had. They shot it. Gosh, I can't remember how many weeks they said that they shot it. You know, what's funny about preparing for the role for this. Uh, De Niro was um, filming nineteen hundred for Bertolucci in Rome when he uh, started preparing for Taxi Driver. And in order to really kind of get into the world of, of a taxi driver, he would actually fly back from Rome on the weekends. Ugh. He got his taxi driver's license and he would drive around on the weekend as an actual taxi driver <laughs> to get the vibe of all of that. And there's an actual story where this this guy got into the cab. He happened to be an actor and he noticed De Niro and he's like, is that De Niro? And he looked at his name card up at the front and said, Robert De Niro. And he's like, oh my God, Robert De Niro. I, I'm an actor too. You're, you're a big hero of mine. He's like, oh, thanks. He's like, you you just won an Oscar. Is, are things really that bad? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> Oh, I did not know that story. That's oh, a good story. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great little bit. So It's a good bit. It is a good bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I we don't have to keep going into, you know, why why you don't like it and why I do. But it's, it's <laughs> why a, I'm wrong and you're right. Is that's that right. what you wanted to say? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, it's it's a great film uh regardless of of you know what you think of it it's it's held up over time and it's it's generally considered a classic um oh we we i i interrupted the numbers it, so it cost 1.3 million to make it made domestically about 28.2 million so uh so it did it did pretty handsomely yeah you don't uh, what do you what do you have do you, do you have the uh like, the, do you have access to the sales of the ongoing sales of you know DVDs and such and so? I does that you know I exist? all I found was it it didn't. Uh, what I did find was let me look again. I I closed that tab. Um, what did they say? It uh, in, had an interesting statistic about domestic gross. Was actually twenty seven million three hundred thousand domestic lifetime gross was twenty eight point two million. So I guess from you know getting re released and I don't know if that would include uh, DVD and stuff like that, but it obviously made another you know nine hundred thousand uh, dollars since it left theaters after its first run. Right. <clears throat> so so it's you know it's it's a film that I think has has uh, you know kept uh kept the studio happy over time columbia i'm sure has uh has continued to make pretty pennies with it well i i don't know what to say <laughs> i've said my piece 
it's uh it's a it's a movie that i feel like i'm bullied into liking when more than anything else i just plain appreciate it mm-hmm. but i don't really like it all that much that's fine yeah um it's gonna make it hard to flick chart it's gonna make it hard to flick chart it is because <laughs> you're gonna want it on the bottom you know what i would rather watch this this we should start at the bottom i would rather watch this than rush how about that that should make you happy on some uh, level, right? Or, or go to Somalia. <laughs> I would rather I would rather watch this than go to Somalia, but not Nauru. 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 No, not. But okay, you could right. go to Nauru and, and watch. watch I wonder this how movie. many people in Nauru like it. I don't know. Do a poll of the two hundred tourists. <laughs> All right. So, shall we? Are you ready to? Are you ready to flick chart? Are you finished? Do you have a one more thing? Or five more things? What do you got? Well, I feel like I kind of went through all of our little one more things. Okay. Uh, I'm just looking here. That would be a that would be a real <laughs> kind of kind of be a real milestone if we actually got through all of the everything before I tried to close out the show. I am getting a weird pop up blocking thing on Flickchart. What is going on? There we go. That was weird. Oh, internet. Yeah. You give it. You take it away. That's right. So, all right. Well, I, I love the film. I think it's a great film. I mean, I agree. It's it's a dark, hard film to watch. It's not something that I feel like I would want to put on all the time. Uh, just like Straw Dogs, uh, you know, Sam Peckinpah's mm-hmm. great film. Another film that I am really fascinated with. I find it just a, a genius film, but it's a really hard film to watch. Um, you know, there's a lot of films like that. Uh, you know, Schindler's List. It's not one you put on, you know, every other weekend right i okay. don't i don't no. not on repeat <laughs> all right taxi driver or the sandlot <laughs> the sandlot come oh on. come on are you kidding me totally taxi well you are killing me smiles <laughs> a taxi driver is, is such a better film the sandlot is sentimental it's sweet I enjoy it. I enjoy the vibe of it and everything. But Taxi Driver makes me think. It really challenges me. It challenges me as a, as a person, as a human. I enjoy the challenge of Taxi Driver. I enjoy... You uh, would put Taxi Driver on before The Sandlot. That's what I'm saying. Like on, uh, an, on an average Saturday, somebody says, you want to watch Sandlot? You want to watch Taxi Driver? You would say... I want to watch Taxi Driver. I'm not. We're. This is an any given Sunday. You're changing our our opinions, our our reasons of voting here. I am not. Are you? You are. Every time, every time Zero Dark Thirty comes up, it's like, well, which is the better movie? Oh well, we both. I think. I think. I think we both hold Zero Dark Thirty in a different place. But that only. That's the Zero Dark Thirty conundrum. Are you saying that Taxi Driver fits in now for you as a Zero Dark Thirty film? No, but I'm saying Zero Dark Thirty is a is a film that's again is probably not something that everybody's going to be putting putting on on the weekend. I sure as heck would put it on before I watch Taxi Driver. Okay, all right. I would put on Taxi Driver over the Sandlot. All right, you know what? I think we can do this for a while. I'm going to give it to you. I have a feeling I'm going to be the one to give up uh, uh, on this one. Uh, here's here's an interesting one: Taxi Driver or Marathon Man. Marathon Man, hands down, Marathon Man. Really? Yes. I'll give you that one. 
I, I, I probably grudgingly taxi driver on first, but uh, right. taxi driver or the curious case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, okay, Benjamin Button, obviously for me. But yeah. but go ahead, take it. I mean, I. Uh, <laughs> now I feel like a cad. Yeah, no, you're a cad. You're the cad. I just painted you. I know you did. <laughs> Taxi driver or drive. This is an interesting one. Let's rate this one on our uh, Albert Brooks level. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna have to find reason. Let's let's challenge ourselves and think of reasons to to vote. Since I, I know otherwise, it's I'll always be picking taxi yeah. driver. You'll always be picking the thing okay, other so, than. Okay, so we're we're gonna talk about Albert Brooks. Definitely drive because I, I would pick drive too because his there's something about the creepiness of his character in this in Drive that uh, really frightens me. He he is such a staccato. It, it's his like otherwise even keel cartoonish character is is punctuated with the staccato violence that comes out of nowhere mm -hmm. that ends up being such a rewarding thing to watch in his performance. Yeah, frightening. Yes. All right, Taxi Driver or Fight Club? I'll pick Fight Club straight up on this one. Really? Yeah. I'm thrilled to hear it. I don't even have to make a point. <laughs> That's right. I love Fight Club. Taxi Driver, The Asphalt Jungle. Taxi Driver. <laughs> okay, on give me a criteria. How about on on uh, on the? I, I guess you wouldn't call Marilyn a prostitute, <laughs> but on the on the uh, the ladies of the night in the films. <laughs> Really, I'm now gonna be. I'm now gonna have to Jody compare Foster, 12 Jody Foster, twelve-year-old Jody Foster to Marilyn Monroe. I think you just made your own bed there, man. I, I did. I really did. I did. All right, Marilyn. Gosh. All right, Taxi Driver or Up in the Air. I actually think I like Up in the Air more. I would also go with Up in the Air. Let's right. let's vote on this one on performances of George Clooney in a feature. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right, it's number 30. All right. All right, that's fine. I chat okay, okay. That's good. That's good. I I'm I'll be okay with that. There is enough stuff in there that I think is good to it, it's it's worth it's worth it. Yeah. Hey, before I did have one other thing I wanted to do for taxi drivers. I know. <laughs> I wanted to read the opening character description in the script by Paul Schrader because okay. I find it really interesting. And now, a dramatic reading from Andy Nelson. <laughs> Travis Bickle, age 26, lean, hard, the consummate loner. On the surface, he appears good-looking, even handsome. He has a quiet, steady look and a disarming smile which flashes from nowhere, lighting up his whole face. But behind that smile, around his dark eyes, in his gaunt cheeks, one can see the ominous stains caused by a life of private fear, emptiness, and loneliness. He seems to have wandered in from a land where it is always cold, a country where the inhabitants seldom speak. The head moves, the expression changes, but the eyes remain ever fixed, unblinking, piercing empty space. Travis is now drifting in and out of the New York City nightlife, a dark shadow among darker shadows. Not noticed, no reason to be noticed, Travis is one with his surroundings. He wears rider jeans, cowboy boots, a plaid western shirt, and a worn beige army jacket with a patch reading King Kong Company, 1968-70. to He has the smell of sex about him, Sick sex, repressed sex, lonely sex, but sex nonetheless. He is a raw male force, driving forward toward what one cannot tell. Then one looks closer and sees the evitable. The clock sprig cannot be wound continually tighter. 
As the earth moves toward the sun, Travis Bickle moves toward violence. And scene. <laughs> uh, very like very well done. Very well done. That was that was terrific. No, I in and in fact is a um uh a very compelling uh a beautifully written description of this character. It really is. It's 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 hauntingly written. It yeah. really defines him well, I think. Truly. Truly. You don't see this sort of I know that the nature the way screenwriter screenwriters write the way that screenplays are written these days you can't have that sort of character description in a script these days which is unfortunate because I really think that there's so much that comes out of having that in there. Mm -hmm. That's that that more sort of uh, exuberant uh language. Yeah, it's like a full page uh, right. description, you know. Right. It's really it's really interesting. Right. So um all right. We're we're moving on. Uh, th we're we're powering through 1976. Absolutely. Uh, next week, what are we going to hit? Uh, we're jumping over to Martin Scorsese's buddy Brian De Palma. We're going to be watching Carrie, one Carrie. of his two films from the year. Yeah. Wow. I think I think the better of the two. I like Carrie a little more than uh, Obsession. Yeah, I think so. Man, it's been a long time since I've seen this film. Uh, I hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I certainly have better memories of it, um, but I I like it for a different reason. I don't think I've ever watched, uh, Carrie, uh, for any other reason than like the Halloween scare. Sure, you know what I'm saying? It's like the it's the the Stephen King kind of horror thing, and so I don't think I've ever really paid attention to it as a film. Oh, fun! It'll be good. I think I've always watched it on date nights when I'm trying to scare the date. <laughs> <laughs> they've never seen Carrie. Well, it'll be a fun uh, a fun chance to yeah. uh, to look at it a little more and, yeah, and a little a little Brian bit more De Palma. Critically. I don't I don't usually like Brian De Palma. I think I I got spoiled when I so what was the one where he he did with um oh the Mars, that, the Mars movie and that tall drink of water. No, I actually liked that one. Uh it was uh <laughs> what's that it was snake eyes no 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 uh raising cane oh raising oh. cane was oh, a, that was a terrible just a horrific john lithgow and lolita yeah. davidovich uh it was just really bad it was, and it really was and that colored my opinion i think of brian de palma and so um it'll be good it'll be good to check uh check out carrie from the earlier days Absolutely. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Uh, and we have another announcement for this weekend. If you've made it all the way through this epic uh, episode, uh, we are going to be hitting up a, a, a film board for the month. What month is it? April? April. Film board for the month of April. We're going to be hitting 42, which opens this weekend. Uh, this is the um, uh, it's a baseball movie. Absolutely. It'll tie I'm, in nicely with our baseball series. I'm excited. I'm excited about baseball movies. I sure love that Harrison Ford. Grumpy Harrison. Ah, turned nice into a heck of a something. grumpy old man. Yeah, he's doing something different. So yes, we need to, to need to see something different. Very excited to see this. So uh, we're going to be hooking up. Uh, the film board will be doing the show on Saturday evening. Show will go live on Sunday morning, and uh, so we hope you are able to download and listen to uh, the special edition before our next uh, next week's discussion of Carrie. Fantastic. I think that's all we got. Good I talk. Think so man, good good talk. It was a it was a challenging talk. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you earned it. You earned it this week. Uh, phew. Yeah. No, you really you had to work. 
I had so many other great things to talk about, and I felt like I had to defend defend the film so much. I didn't get to talk about all the great things. <laughs> oh, I'm oh. sorry. I felt like I put you on I put you on the ropes. Then that's terrible. Uh, it's all right. It's good. No, it's good. I I think it it hopefully made some of the points that that I see in the film come out stronger. You, I think you did. Allow Let's me see. to be your contrast. Well, thank you. <laughs> and scene. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>